On this episode of the World of CONCACAF podcast, we go to El Salvador and talk about the latest news around CONCACAF. Thank you for joining us for the second episode of the World of CONCACAF podcast. I am Eric Schmitz. And I'm Jonathan Slate. And I am Donald Wine. And we are here to talk about CONCACAF. Gentlemen, we just finished the on the women's side. We just finished the She Believes Cup. Jonathan, I think it's time for Scoreboard Watch. Yeah, so, um, you know, the biggest thing that happened uh, in the past couple weeks with CONCACAF has been has been She Believes um, with the U.S. winning uh, the She Believes Cup and then Canada as well participating. Um, but before we get into She Believes, I wanted to also kind of touch on a little bit what's going on in Mexico because it's one of the few leagues that is uh, going on right now. Um, but Saturday night, we had a absolutely fantastic match between Santos Laguna and uh, Juarez. Santos is in third, Juarez in 14th. Um, Santos goes up 3-0. The first, the first goal even came from a Juarez uh, own goal. Um, in the 70th first minute, we finally, Juarez gets a goal, gets a late penalty in the 86th minute, um, and then late has another chance uh, to score and to tie it up. Um, you know, it wasn't a game, it was a game that Santos should have won pretty handedly, but, you know, it just goes to show in this league how, crazy i mean in this federation you know how much can go wrong and go crazy and um just another great example of of concacaf soccer i feel like that like in league mx especially you know major league soccer has this time and some of these other leagues have some quirky moments where there's one match that's like really like that but i feel like league mx has that every week where it's like multiple matches that you only have one tv for league mx but there's three games that warrant your attention because stupid stuff like that happens. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Really, I mean, it's, I was going to say, it's nice say it's, that Liga MX games are readily accessible um, just because between the Spanish language networks in the U S um, and oh, Fox sports broadcast games, like you can catch these games and a lot of them end up being pretty wild, like especially compared to American soccer that you might typically see. Uh, and now getting into she believes, I, I mentioned U.S. wins there. Uh, that was the fourth she believes that they won, have won. You know, winning all three of their games. Uh, Canada, uh, our other, our con- our s- small neighbor to the north, finished third. They won one game against Argentina. Um, it is worth noting that this Canadian team is super banged up. Uh, I mean, we even saw 
Um, their goalkeeper went out when they played the U.S. within the first like 15, 20 minutes. Definitely not the strongest Canadian side out there. Um, Argentina was a, was a late ad, and you know they're they're struggling and, and a young team. But um, how does everyone feel both about the U.S. and Canada as we're getting ready for um, Olympic uh, qualifying? Yo, it, uh, I, I first want to start out by saying I think it was great that you said the U.S. was in She Believes and oh yeah, Canada was there too. Uh, but <laughs> that's what happens when you're the little neighbor. Minor detail. Minor, Minor detail. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I think we we saw the U.S. struggle for the first time in, what, two years almost? Uh, probably not since the World Cup have we seen them really struggle. Uh, and they did for a couple of games against Canada and then against Brazil. They obviously worked Argentina like you said it's like they were kind of uh outmatched but uh, I do think in Canada's position they were missing a lot of players even before this there were some that didn't get that couldn't get called in uh because of covid restrictions there were some that were injured like Christine Sinclair is not was not there uh, and then like you said they had I think they had injuries a significant injury in every single match that they played so uh, they were kind of up against it it's kind of unfortunate in that regard from the U.S. perspective, I do think it's very important that if you're going to make up a tournament, you have to win it. So it's good that the U.S. defends the title, uh, that trophy that they made up uh, a couple years ago. Uh, that nice replacement for, because it was it the Algarve Cup that they always used to play in at the beginning mm-hmm. of each year. Yeah. I mean, she believes has grown into like a nice, steady, like good spring tournament. And especially in a major competition year like it is this year for the women's national team uh with the olympics coming up uh i mean they look good yeah you go in your games like that's all you can ask for and they're yeah, doing it against the best teams and like i mean canada and brazil entering the you know she believes was eighth in the world both of them were they're tied for eighth they're not eighth anymore but i mean it just shows you kind of what the gap is between the u.s and everybody else right now yeah, I mean, and we did lose getting to see Japan because of, you know, different COVID restrictions they pulled out of the tournament. But I think it's good both for the U.S. and Canada going into this uh, qualifying tournament um, in a couple months that they have been playing some some games against some tougher opponents because I know both teams um, haven't had the toughest matchups as of late. Now, is there was there a player that caught your eye in this tournament? That I mean, Crystal, really Crystal, Crystal Dunn was... Um, it's consistently one of the most underrated players, um, I would say, in women's women's soccer as a whole. Uh, and and she was fantastic on uh, on on every single game that she played in. She is the best left back in the world, and left back is not her best position. If she was midfielder, she'd be one of the best midfielders in the world. If she was in her natural position of striker, she'd be one of the best strikers in the world. She's that good. You got a lot of competition all over that U.S. roster. Uh, which is going to be interesting with the Olympics and having such a small group that you can take to that tournament. That might be the biggest competition they face all year. Is he the U.S. versus the 18 woman roster? <laughs> the 18 that go and the let's say the six or the biggest competition is the six or seven that are on the bubble, um, right? Like those those last couple spots. So another glorious victory for the United States um, national teams programs. Um, Head on to the Newswire, uh, CONCACAF Newswire. Uh, Donald, what's going on around CONCACAF? Well, I want to start with our uh, brothers and sisters down in Puerto Rico because they have a new coach. And for you Americans out there, it should be one that is very familiar to. It is former 
American interim manager Dave Sirikin. He is now taking over as the Puerto Rican head coach. Uh, they start World Cup qualifying this month. They, of course, are trying to qualify for the World Cup. It is a very tall task for them, we admit. But it'd be great to have Puerto Rico in the octagon, at least for us, because that would mean a trip to Puerto Rico. Uh, that'd be great for us. But so congratulations to Dave Sirikin. Really nice guy. And, you know, I think handled the interim manager job for the U.S. men's national team as best as you could because he was never getting the full-time job, but coached like he wanted it, which I think is all you can ask for. And he did, you know, serviceable in that regard. I will also... Oh, go ahead. I was, I think he did a good job of, um, you know, getting in some of those youngsters. And so he was one of the, you know, having that difficult task of after the U S failing to qualify for the world cup, um, getting some, some fresh faces in there. Um, and then his time at, uh, NCFC in North Carolina, um, he did pretty well. There were, there's some issues with that team as a whole and, and, you know, what they're doing, um, with the arrival of Charlotte. But I mean, I think he is going to come into that job and he's, he may be the best coach that they've had uh, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good role for him. Like, it's good for that program to have a coach of that stature. Um, and if he can focus on that, like, if he's focusing on that job, like, especially when you get to the the lower end teams in Concacaf, like, if you can end up at the top of that heap, it's gonna be good, good for your program going forward. Um, but Sarakin's got good experience, and I mean, national team coaching jobs are not the worst in the world. Like you're only working here and there, um, but it's a lot of watching soccer. And if he can help grow that player pool, uh, it'll be good for them. Yeah, especially like Slate said, he's very good at identifying young talent and giving them opportunities. He may not be able to do that right off the bat with World Cup qualifying starting in 20 days, but. He'll at least, if he sticks around beyond June, then he will definitely be a guy that they'll look for to increase that player pool by bringing on some younger guys. But I also want to talk about Mikel Antonio, who plays for West Ham. He is a Jamaican English uh, guy, and he has been coveted by both teams. Uh, and really, England thought they were in the driver's seat for his services on the national team. But obviously, everyone knows that England has a logjam at several positions that Mikhail Antonio would be able to even be considered to play. So Jamaica gave him a call. And according, and this is where CONCACAF gets funny. According to some reports, he was contacted by the Jamaican Federation and they let them know that, hey, we are interested in bringing you on for World Cup qualifying. If they call him in for World Cup qualifying, he'll be in the octagon, which starts... And I mean, September is right around the corner if if March 2020 is any uh, note, because March 2020 is still going on as of March 1st, 2021. But I, I digress. There's the report that he was contacted and they said, hey, we're interested. And there's also a report that says, hey, Jamaica's interested. And he goes, cool, I'm repping Jamaica. So this is where... CONCACAF becomes funny because no one knows which report is true. Mikel Antonio ain't talking. Jamaica ain't talking. England ain't talking. So it's left up to our, our rationale. But guys, I do want to ask you, with the reports that we have, Mikel Antonio for Jamaica, does that boost their chances of making it to the World Cup? Or do you think it's one of many issues that they may have? I mean, I think it boosts his chance of making the World Cup. I think probably the biggest concern is um, Mikel Antonio is a player that has, um, you know, struggled for fitness at times. Um, his hamstrings have have been his biggest issue, and I think we've seen that um, this season 
um, just with his time with West Ham. And so the question will be with, you know, CONCACAF qualifying going to three matches per cycle or per break uh, rather than the normal two. Um, is it going to be a situation where they're going to have to pick his spots with where he plays if he does, if the, if he has accepted the call up? I mean, but it does make that attack pretty fearless. I mean, pretty fearful when you have guys like Mikel Antonio, um, Leon Bailey as well. Uh, so I think that there's there's definitely definitely boosts their chances, uh, but a lot of it will probably come down to um, is he, you know, is he fit? Uh, and one thing I will add is he actually did make an appearance. He has been called up by England um, and was an unused substitute on the bench. So I mean, England's called him in, but I mean, I think at this point they have not. Uh, I think if if he chooses Jamaica, if Jamaica is where he wants to be, that's where he'll he'll make that that jump. Yeah, if he wants to go get appearances, he's more likely to get called in for Jamaica. Like he will have plenty of opportunities to play, and for them, it definitely makes them a more competitive team. Does it affect their qualifying chances? I don't know if it's gonna matter. Like I I can't see them challenging to be one of those top three teams and get one of those auto bids. But it does make them a tougher out. It does make them more competitive in a gold cup if they have a talent like that up top. He's not gonna if he's not getting called in and if he's not getting minutes with England, like if he wants to be busy during international windows, this is the route for him to take. Uh, so it'd be a good pull for Jamaica. I guess we'll find out if that ends up happening. Uh, Jamaica has a friendly now announced against the United States for later in March. He could very well be called in and get his debut there, but we will see. Yeah, and and really with Jamaica, I mean, right now they're the third highest ranked team in CONCACAF. Costa Rica has kind of taken a bit of a dip in the last year or so. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who between those, if, if the rankings mean anything, who between those two teams kind of each inch the other one out for that third auto spot. And I think that's where Jamaica hopes that Mikel Antonio is a guy that can help them in that. But moving on, I think the biggest news uh, from CONCACAF over the last few weeks has been the announcement of Paramount Plus, which at, you know uh, until March 4th as uh, CBS All Access. Paramount Plus is now getting all the rights to CONCACAF events, and that is including World Cup qualifying for the men and the women outside of the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, and also, or I'm sorry, I should say the U.S. and Mexico at home. Uh, and then also Women's Nations League, CONCACAF Champions League. This is going to be incredibly big for CONCACAF because having one stop where everyone is able to see all the games is going to be a great thing for CONCACAF. And notably, this is also Paramount Plus will also have, it still it currently has the Champions League and UEFA League in will also have uh or not UEFA Europa League will also have the Europa Conference League that's starting up in the fall. So people already are going to be paying if they have teams that they like in Europe, they're going to be paying for this already and you're already going to get CONCACAF stuff on top of it. One other point to note out is that for from the US perspective and the Mexico perspective, CBS is talking about already moving some of those games featuring one of those two teams that they own from CBS from Paramount Plus to one of the CBS slash Viacom channels. So if you guys remember the playoffs for the for NFL, they had a couple of games on Nickelodeon. 
we could have a U.S. men's national team match on Nickelodeon. How cool would that be if we scored and they got some slime going that? Like, please, I might that. You tell me, Nickelodeon, if you do that, just tell us ahead of time. I won't go to that game. I'll just watch it on TV so I can see the slime. Because if I'm in the stands, unless you're actually sliming us, we won't be able to see it. So Put SpongeBob so in the goalposts. Yeah, exactly. One, one quick thing: um, Paramount Plus sponsor us, um, but be happy to. We we would be happy to to rep uh, the official network of Concacaf as I'm going to start referring to them as. Um, no, I think it'll be great. I mean, I think a lot of soccer fans um, that may not have gotten into Concacaf will already have uh, Paramount Plus for for Champions League, and I think we're going to you know grab some some new people there. Uh, I will say my probably my only qualm is you know we've seen ESPN has become uh, the home of a lot of soccer. Uh, and then we have the Premier League on uh, Peacock. If we could just get this down to at least just only two, maybe one. So maybe CBS goes out and gets the Premier League. Um, would love to have just have one or two streaming services for all of that. Listen, I am just overwhelmed with joy that I'm going to have easily accessible CONCACAF competitions on my television. You know, I mean... I understand that everyone wants to pay for less streaming services, but you get what you pay for. And Paramount Plus is going to be worth every penny when I get to see glorious CONCACAF Nations League soccer on my television. The World I'm Cup with qualifying. You. I'm with uh, you there in the sense yeah. that like, it's, it's not like it's not like they put it on a new service, right? Like remember they did Nations League like qualifying on Flow Sports, and I tell you what, yeah. I hate Flow Sports. This is gonna be if we have to talk about Flow Sports, and this is gonna be like the Jack Warner segment from the last episode. Wait, wait, Flow Sports. We are also accepting of your sponsorship dollars. No, well. no, no, we are not. No, <laughs> yes, we are. We not. are. <laughs> no, because they don't have no money. <laughs> so and they and they suck just like Jack Warner does. So, <laughs> but the thing about it is they took they they took a property that they want more people to see and brought it where more people are watching, which is CBS All Access right now. And on, on the fourth, it turns to Paramount Plus. It just changes call signs. So, literally. I, I, as a subscriber, have to do nothing except keep subscribing. And it's not and it's not where we're like having to find where this thing is and how we access it. And I think that's where CONCACAF succeeded, is they brought it to where the eyeballs are instead of putting it somewhere and hoping that the eyeballs follow. I think on another segment, we're going to have to have a conversation on uh, wildest ways you've had to watch a CONCACAF match. Because um, I'm sure that we all have had issues of, you know, uh, pay-per-views or, or places we've gone, um, but that can be a segment for for yeah. We, we're, to... Let's file that one. That's on the ideas board. Yeah. Thanks for the updates, Donald. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna hit our Concacaf laser focus. Right, thanks for joining us again uh, for this episode. Uh, today's CONCACAF Laser Focus segment is going to focus on El Salvador. Uh, El Salvador, that's Spanish name for the savior. Uh, it's the smallest cent- country in Central America. Slightly smaller than Belize, uh, bordered by Honduras to the northeast, Guatemala to the northwest, and the Pacific Ocean to the south. So just hanging out down there. Uh, capital city is San Salvador. Uh, gentlemen, what do you think San Salvador means in Spanish? Saint Savior. 
That's correct. You you can't get anything past you. Uh, <laughs> they do speak Spanish down there. Although it is important to note they speak the voceo form of Spanish. So they use the vos instead of two. Vosotros. It, it it almost sounds like I like have a sense. I'm not advanced enough in my Duolingo quite yet to understand what that even means. But I know what I'm that means. Basically, they're not using Mex- Mexican Spanish. Mexican Spanish uses ustedes, which is you all. But yeah. in Spain, the more Castilian Spain Spanish uses vosotros, which is another pronoun so they use closer to i mean it's still it's still kind of tricky they have some words that they don't use in spain or mexico but they they trend their spanish trends closer to the spanish spain as opposed to mexican spanish okay yeah that owl has not gotten me that info quite yet uh working on it though um of course it was el salvador that area was uh colonized by the spanish uh, they showed up in the early 16th century. So long history. Um, they actually became a sovereign nation in 1841. So it's not necessarily a super new country. A lot of political instability, though, leading up to the Salvadoran Civil War, which is a violent battle between military-led government uh, backed by the U.S. Americans, you should probably know more about El Salvador than you probably do. encourage you to look it up. A lot of that instability led to large numbers of Salvadorans fleeing the country, uh, many to the U.S. Donald, were you at the Gold Cup quarterfinals in 2011 at RFK? Uh, I was. U.S. played Jamaica. I was at that game, and I remember two things. One, the stands were bouncing, and I had never seen it. As they do at RFK. I had never experienced anything like that before. RFK was a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, But also, by the time that game was over, El Salvador was supposed to play Panama in the next game, and the entire upper deck was blue and white El Salvador Mm -hmm. fans. DC's got a huge El Salvadoran population. So, I mean, that kind of... uh, I'll say this, the El El Salvador, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but the El Salvador national team, plays used to play games at rfk like you know how we will sometimes play a home game at craven cottage or something like that they would routinely play one or two games a year at rfk as a home game and would fill the place up have any of you guys been to el salvador or is it or is this a a nation that we need to add to add to the board on places one of us at least needs to go to yeah i I don't think anyone i haven't been that's one of the few i haven't been to okay yeah, I mean, new for all of us. Uh, the interesting thing is they do get a lot of American tourists. Their tropical climate and main tourism draw are the beaches. Uh, so surfing is actually pretty big down there. But the Americanization of the country, they actually use U.S. currency. They've got a lot of chain restaurants down there. If you go down there, you're going to see your McDonald's, your Burger Kings, your Pizza Huts, things like that. Just it's... And it's an interesting, diverse culture, uh, composite of like the indigenous people of the region, the European settlers and the African slaves that they brought over. It has really created this culture that's diverse. Um, you can find that in their cuisine. One of the things in El Salvador that's really big is there's a lot of corn in the dishes. Um, they're heavy in pork and seafood. Uh, most notable dish in the cuisine is the pupusa. 
stuffed flatbread. I love, an, I love a good pupusa. Ooh boy, like the the pupusas here in DC are, I've been told, just like you find in El Salvador, and that's probably why I haven't had to go because they're all here. I mean, they're readily accessible. That's what the thing about having like a big immigrant population is that that stuff is accessible uh, for you. Um, so they're big on pupusas. Uh, they really like their soups. Uh, as far as alcohol goes, they're a really big beer culture. Pilsner and Suprema, the big brands to know. The national liquor of El Salvador is Tic Tac, which is a sugarcane distillate, very similar to Cachaca, which is from Brazil. Cachaca. I'm struggling with my pronunciations today. Um, but the one thing about El Salvador is the most popular sport there is soccer. So, Donald, tell us about the El Salvador national team. I will. Well, first, let me talk about the federation, the Federación Salvadoreña de Football, or FESFOOT. Uh, no one really calls it FESFOOT, <laughs> but if you're seeing that writing somewhere, that's what they mean. They're talking about El Salvador's federation. Uh, the national team is currently 70th in the world rankings, and their highest ranking was back in April of 2012, where they were 49th. But their lowest ranking was in 2006. They were 190th. So they've been all over the place. Uh, and while, while El Salvadorian soccer dates back to 1899, the first known international match was in September of 1921, which was against Costa Rica in a tournament that was celebrating 100 years of Central American independence. As you know, that was still 80 years for El Salvador since they were independent in 1841. This was celebrating some of the other countries who had become independent a few years earlier. They wore black shirts and white shorts during that match and eventually moved to black and white striped shirts for the first decade or so of their existence. Their first coach was an American. His name was Mark Scott Thompson coaching from 1930 to 1935. And he was the man that gave El Salvador their current identity. And he was the man that gave El Salvador what is their current identity, which is either a blue shirt with white shorts or a white shirt with blue shorts. That's generally what they wear. Usually they wear blue at home, but if you notice, whenever they play the United States away, they will wear white at home so that we have to wear a darker color in the heat. So the Salvadorian Feder Federation was founded in 1935 as a whole. And they joined FIFA in 1938. Now, at that point, the Central American countries and the Caribbean countries that were around then that had football teams, they decided to get together to form their own championship. It was the Central American and Central, uh, the Central American and Caribbean Championship. Started in 1941. El Salvador was runner-up in the first tournament. They then hosted the next tournament two years later and won that tournament. However, between that and what has split off now to become Copa Central Americana. That is the only one they have ever won. And since it's become the Copa Central Americana, they've been incredibly inconsistent, but they've only placed third or fourth in just about every tournament. So it's not like they're competing uh, or real contenders for Central Americana. They just really are always steadily in that third or fourth. They get to the semifinal, they lose to somebody, and then they either win or, or lose the third place match. They have made one Olympics. That was in 1968. Uh, they drew Ghana, lost to Israel, and then got the brakes beat out of them by Hungary to crash out of the group stage. Remember that, okay? okay. I'm going to talk about Hungary in a minute. During Now we're talking about World Cup qualifying and, and the World Cup. I go back to 1968. There was a song. It was a Colombian song that became really popular in El Salvador. It was called El Pajaro Picón Picón. You don't need to know the name of the song because 
it's it's from the 60s but during a radio show one of the radio hosts in el salvador parodied the song and he named the song it was about the national team and mm-hmm. just basically kind of changed the lyrics around and he named it arriba con la selección and the parody was so famous and so popular that it became the official anthem of the El Salvador national football team. And so they used that kind of as their rallying cry and qualified for their first ever World Cup with that song as the backing. So it's a very popular song to this day because of those roots. Now, they've only been to two World Cups, 1970 and 1982. 1970, they lost, didn't score a goal. Every game, didn't score a goal. In 1982, however, their highlight of all World Cups is also a low light. The only goal they have ever scored in the World Cup was against Hungary back in 1982 in their opening match of the tournament. Ramirez Zapata was the goal scorer. However, that lone World Cup goal comes in the midst of what is still the biggest bow beasting in World <laughs> Cup history. Hungary won that match 10-1. to 1. It's the most goals allowed by anyone in one match in World Cup history, and the score margin is tied for the largest in World Cup history. There were two other matches that ended 9-0. But they didn't, also, they didn't get shut out. They didn't get shut out. They didn't get shut out. The one goal that they have in World Cup history is still part of this low light. It is clearly El Salvador's worst defeat ever. Their biggest win, however, on the other side was in 2010 World Cup qualifying when they smashed Anguilla 12-0. So they have the world the world's largest beatdown. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't unlike, you know, back on you know, back in the day, it wasn't on a lot of TV, but the world still knows that when you look at the biggest beatdowns in World Cup history at the top. El Salvador is on there, and they're the ones that caught the beating. So uh, that is it for World Cup qualifying for them. They've had more success in the Gold Cup. They've been to fi- they've been to fifteen of them. They regularly make it out of the group. They usually get to the quarterfinals. They do have one runner-up finish in nineteen eighty-one, and, and like I mentioned, eighty-one, eighty-two. That was probably the best run that they had as a team, as a program. Uh, between eighty-one getting to the runners-up in the Gold Cup, and then eighty-two going to the World Cup in of course, suffering that bow beating, but they were, that is really their run. Uh, in 2019, they finished third in a group to Jamaica and Curacao and only Honduras, which was shocking because Honduras was kind of the, the seeded team in that group. They were below them in the group table. I want to talk about two things and I'll start with one. One is kind of their, the biggest black eye on the program. You guys, do you guys remember the match fixing scandal of 2013? Uh, yes, I remember I, a little little of it but you might need to refresh our memories on this yeah, yeah so, i remember the i remember it happening but i don't remember the details yeah so basically what happened was and, and i'll make it's a long story obviously but basically there was a big investigation about match fixing uh, and really just how the score lines were happening and a lot of money that was being placed outside of Concacaf, really in asia about games involving El Salvador and their games against Venezuela, Mexico, Costa Rica, and the United States. All of these games were losses, but some of them were kind of really big losses or just well outside of what the spread would be. And I know the spread in soccer doesn't mean much, but it meant a lot for this purpose. And when they did some investigating, they figured out that it was as many as 23 guys that were involved in this match fixing. So 14 players were handed lifetime bans from soccer for losing games on purpose for money. Some of them are some of the best that the program has ever had. Christian Castillo, Alfredo Pacheco, Dennis Alas, Darwin Bonilla, Raymond Flores, Rodolfo Zelaya got a band of a year. Rodriguez uh, Martinez got five. 
all in all, as I mentioned, 22 players of the national team and even a U20 player received suspensions or bans for match fixing. You think that was the end of it? No. They had another episode in 2016 where after the fact, they revealed that they had turned down an offer that someone offered them money to make sure that their result against Canada in World Cup qualifying would be one that saw Honduras go through to the next round. But because they didn't disclose it ahead of time, their coach knew this, by the way. Their coach, Ramon Maradiaga, Uh he knew about this, didn't say anything. They played the game. They eventually lost. I think Honduras actually did qualify, but it wasn't based on anything that Honduras did because no money was exchanged. And then after they said, hey, we lost, but, you know, we could have, we could have, we could have, Bet we could have put, got money for this. People are like, wait, what? <laughs> so, so they disclosed the fact after, they're like, tell yeah, on themselves. There, they told yeah. themselves, and they didn't have to. Anyway, their coach Maradiaga got a two-year ban from soccer for that. I say that that's their low light. You may disagree after this next one. Okay, <laughs> the main event that was an awful event. This story is the main event. We got to talk about the biting match of 2017. I know you guys remember this game, right? Oh, yeah. So let me take you all out there back to 2017. Gold Cup quarterfinals in Philly. I was at this match. I don't think either of you two were there, right? No, I was not. I was not. I was not at this one. Okay, yeah. So I was at this game. And this was one where El Salvador was playing the United States. The game escalated in the score column right around the halftime. Omar Gonzalez scores in the very first minute. Eric Lee high scores in first half stoppage time. So it's two nothing at halftime. We're feeling good. We're, we're thinking, all right, we got this locked up. Now, from our perspective, the, the U.S. was coming at us in the first half and going away from us in the second half. I say that to say this. In the 60th minute, the U.S. have a corner kick. Again, they're at the other end of the field. Josie Altador is in the box right in front of the Salvadorian keeper. Henry Romero from El Salvador is standing right next to him. And they've been jostling per position. They're, they're pushing each other. All of a sudden, Josie just drops in a heap. He's rolling around and he's yelling. And we're on the far end and we're trying to figure out what's going on. We don't know what happened. Then they show the replay in the stadium. Romero bit this dude on the back of his shoulder. But he didn't just stop there. He also twisted his nipple as Josie went down. <laughs> nope. <laughs> No call, no nothing. Like we were just left there and we're sitting there going just absolutely just out of our minds in the stands because it's like we see this on T on the on the jumbo chat. How do you not see this going on and you're five feet away? Not to be outdone, 20 minutes later, Darwin Saren, he does the same thing because clearly he was like, Hey, old boy got away from Romero, like he bit him and he gave him a titty twister. Like it's cool, right? He does the same thing to Omar Gonzalez. He bites him on the shoulder. Again, on the back of the shoulder. Right in front of the referee. No call. Even though Gonzalez is sitting there like, yo, check out my man. He's biting me. Nothing. See, it's so a difference after- in cultures. Some places, they, they just look the other way because this is normal. This is he was fine. looking right at him, though. Like, looking the other way, it's one thing. It'd be one thing that he's just kind of staring off in the space and like, oh, I didn't really see it. He's looking right at the dude, knowing something had already happened. Dude bites him again, and he's like, nah, never mind. So after the game, though, the money quote comes from Josie. Uh, if you recall, he had just started dating his now fiance, uh, Sloane Stevens, who is a rock star on, on the tennis court. And she go and he goes, my girl's mad at me. And she's mad at Romero because she's like, only I can bite you. Only I can grab your nipples. <laughs> so, so 
clearly <laughs> Romero and Saren, they had some issues, not just with Josie, not just with Omar, but Sloan Stevens about to beat that ass too. <laughs> <laughs> Romero ended up being suspended by CONCACAF for six games and Saren was suspended for three. So if you're doing the math at home, apparently the nipple twist doubled up the punishment for Romero. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy that it wasn't a, a – a straight red during the match and the fact that they were able to get it off twice like Luis Suarez got it got it done in the World Cup I was there for that and by the time it happened and they did the replay my man's was sent off and the entire world knew that this man was not gonna be playing ball for a while these guys two of these guys on the same team and, and within 20 minutes of each other were able to get bites off and nothing <laughs> happened that my friends is CONCACAF the, um, gold, cup, the gold cup is just wild you know it's just why it's that's just Concacaf. Like you will see stuff like that all the time. But I, I do real quickly. I'll touch on Nations League. They're in group. They're in League A now. They started out in League B in the last time and easily won their group. Uh, they went five and one in the group. Their long loss being away to the Dominican Republic. So they were promoted. They could be someone that the U.S. draws when the next draw comes around, which will be after uh, the World Cup next year. For as far as like all timers, Alfredo Pacheco, who I mentioned was suspended for life uh, or banned for life, he's their all time caps leader with 85. Dennis Alas, another guy who was banned for life, has 83. Their all time leading goal scorer, DC United fans will know this name and everyone else should too because he's a he's he's the absolute legend. Raul Diaz Arce has 39 goals. He leads them all time. The active leader is Rodolfo Zelaya with 23, which is good enough for second all time. Remember, Zelaya was suspended for a year for this match-fixing scandal, but of course was cleared, and now he is back and can play. He played for LAFC in the LA uh, in the Las Vegas Lights in 2019, but currently, this is a tongue twister for me. Zelaya plays for Celaya, which is in Mexico's second division. Again, that's Concacaf, where you can play on a team that you don't have to know how to spell because it's your last name. <laughs> and they did qualify for this summer's Gold Cup because of winning their group in Nations League and begin World Cup qualifying this month, as you mentioned. They're in Group A with Antigua and Barbuda, Grenada, Montserrat, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, they host Grenada and then travel to Montserrat. By the way, can we get this schedule, please? Can the U.S. – can we somehow <laughs> be ranked high but also get – to host Grenada and then travel to Montserrat. That will be awesome. They're the seeded team in the group, so they're expected to at least make it to the second round of qualifying, but that's why the games are played, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I just want to go to Montserrat. Yeah, away, to, Mon away to Montserrat's, like, top three in the yeah desirability rankings. You know, I just want to go play on a volcano. So coming up, uh, you know, after Donald talking about the men's national team and before I dive into uh, the women's national team in history, I would take a second to talk about the national stadium. Estadio Cuscatalan uh, is located in San Salvador, um, and it is actually the largest stadium in Central America. Um, there's some disagreement and um, uh, dispute on how big it is uh, because part of the stadium is not seated. Um, you know, they, the, um, Fezfoot says it's 53,000. Um, but also, um, FIFA says it's 45,000 due to needing to have seats for everyone. It is also the home as Alianza FC, um, in the uh, Salvadoran, uh, Premier League. Uh, and it, it, it's hosted a wide range of both games and, um, various concerts, religious, you know, events. Uh, but probably the biggest match that it is hosted was actually when they had 
Borussia Dortmund came to town in 1976 for the opening of the stadium to play the El Salvador national team. Uh, the Germans won 2-0, um, which I'm sure is not really a surprise for anyone. That was how they kick, kicked off the opening. And they actually have, uh, they've upgraded it since uh, 2008. Um, so they've had, added a few things. So hopefully all of us uh, can get down um, to a game in San Salvador and to check out um, the Estadio Cuscatalan. I wonder how that phone call went where they're calling Borussia Dortmund. It's like, hey, we're opening a stadium. You guys want to come to El Salvador? <laughs> they must have they must have had dudes that could surf. And they're like, hey, come to El Salvador. Where is that? It's on the Pacific Ocean. You can surf. Bet. See it, see it a few. <laughs> yeah, because that was in July. So, I mean, right there. Oh, yeah. Season. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So, oh, it's like, hey, so Locked we're going to have our preseason uh, in uh, Central America. And I'm sure all of them were like, yep. Sounds good. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They all brought surfboards and everything. Well, as storied and as long of a history as uh, the men's national team has, uh, the women's national team has not been around as long. Um, so they actually didn't play their first match until 1998 uh, when they won actually 6-1 um, versus Honduras. Uh, currently, they're ranked 101st. Um, they recently, they've gone up eight. Uh, their highest ranking was back in 2017 uh, in 84th. Uh, and then their lowest ranking uh, was in March 2017 at 111. They have had one, their largest defeat. They've won, they lost 16-0 to Mexico in 2000. Um, but they really turned it around because in 20, 2004, they won 18-1 to versus Nicaragua. Uh, so they uh, they've they've been they've been on both sides of the coin where they've they've had some heavy defeats and they've had some very heavy losses. I mean, very heavy wins. They have yet to qualify for the FIFA Women's World Cup finals. Um, so they, they didn't qualify in 2009. Uh, they do have a chance, albeit maybe a smaller chance of qualifying in 2003. Um, and then as far as the Olympics, uh, they have not qualified for um any of the uh, olympic tournaments or even the olympic qualifying so right now uh, they, they're a bit of a young team so i mean there's a, a chance that you know as we've seen with and we'll talk about um in a later episode the women's nation league um we're going to see teams like like el salvador continue to get more experience and get to play against teams that you know give them a chance to improve as well and we've covered the national teams i'm going to talk quickly about el salvador's league system el salvador has uh the, at least on the men's side they have four divisions worth of leagues leading off with the Premier division followed by segunda tercera and la asociacion departamental de football aficionado is the fourth division i tried i think i i pulled that one off the Premier division of la liga de football professional uh, also known as La Liga Mayor. Uh, a little easier to say, so I'm going to go with La Liga Mayor. Uh, it's been around since 1969. Uh, they have two seasons. So they have the Apertura, which is August to December, and the Clausura from February to July. Uh, the Clausura in 2020 was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what they did is they actually didn't relegate anyone. They still lost a couple teams. One team, El Vencedor. Uh, dropped out due to money and independiente lost their license. Uh, so their spots were given to lower division teams, uh, Atletico Marte and Furpo, which they weren't promoted into those positions. They were just kind of like 
picked for those positions. The 2020-2021 Apertura season ended in January. Uh, Alianza in San Salvador uh, defeated Aguia from San Miguel in the final. Uh, that's Alianza's 15th Premier Division title. Their league system does have promotion and relegation. What they do is lowest points in the league aggregate over the two seasons, the Aperture and the Clausura, gets automatically relegated to the league below. Uh, the second lowest goes to the Repechage. <laughs> I'm struggling in this episode. <laughs> they play the second place team in the Segunda division or the lower division. They do like a home and away. And the winner goes up and the loser goes down. So it's like there's one that automatically goes. And then they have this nice little playoff between the two. Uh, Segunda division typically has 20 teams, but they actually had five teams drop out due to the pandemic. Which it, it's one of the un, one of the many unfortunate things about what's been going on in the last year is that lower division soccer, especially in countries like this, uh, is kind of getting devastated by uh, everything that's going on. I mean, that's that's not just been a case in you know some of the smaller Concacaf nations. I mean, we've seen that here uh, in the United States. We've seen it in Mexico. We've seen it in Canada. Uh, I think, and even you know, even in the bigger leagues in Europe, I think one of the things that we've learned a lot through this is uh, it does not matter how big or how storied your, your federation and, and your leagues may be, you're not immune um, to the challenges of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And just straight up losing a quarter of your teams in your league. It's, it's tough. They did play this season though. Their Apertura ended January 30th. Uh, won by Platense and penalties. Platense is based in Zacuta Coluca. Zacuta Coluca. That I got. I got that one down pretty good. You're getting uh, better. You're getting good. <laughs> I'm getting there. Just warming up. Uh, they will have playoff with the Clausura winner for promotion. Uh, so that will happen later this year. El Salvador does have a domestic cup, like a lot of nations do. It was originally called the Copa Presidente, uh, also known as Copa El Salvador. It features teams from the first, second, and third divisions. They actually haven't played it in over a year because of the pandemic. Um, so we will see how that goes going forward. But that about wraps us up. Uh, there's your full picture on El Salvador soccer. We're going to take a quick break, compose ourselves so I can like pronounce names right. And uh, I think we're going to have a little real team, fake team coming up. So we'll be right back.
uh, we're back, and now it's the time of the show where we're going to play real team, fake team. Jonathan is going to be our contestant today. Your panelists are going to be myself and Donald. And if you miss the first episode, I'm going to go over the rules again. What we'll do is, because CONCACAF is so diverse and wild, you hear there's all these team names, all these clubs that just sound like they're made up. So it's up to us to figure out if they are made up. So for an example, for a previously mentioned team, I would say Alianza FC. And Jonathan would have to say if he thinks it's real or fake. And we'll alternate, and we'll see how many Jonathan can get. So, Donald, why don't you lead us off? All right. This first team, real or fake, F-A-S. Ooh, F-A-S. I'm, I mean, we have Fezfoot uh, and F-A-S. I'm going to go real. It is real. It stands for Futbolistas Asociados Santanecos. It is based in Santa Ana, and they were fourth in La Liga Mayor uh, during the Apertura uh, last year. I'm very glad you decided to take that one because I would not <laughs> be able to pronounce <laughs> the way things are going. Okay, so I'm up. Fuerte, San Francisco. I mean, that's a. Uh, I, I will say that you know, two of these in, um, they are a little more. I would say serious, and then some of the Barbados uh, teams like uh, FC Mega Ballers. I'm gonna go fake. Just game theory here. Uh, Don't you can't overanalyze it. The Forte San Francisco, real team. Uh, Forte means strong, and San Francisco means they play in San Francisco. Uh, they're in the Segunda Division. So the next one we have is Atlético Limeño. I'm gonna go real team. So. I tricked you. This is a fake team. <laughs> oh. Atletico Lemeño is a combination. I just took the name from two real teams, Atletico Marte and Municipal Lemeño. But that is a fake team. Got him. Struggling here. Next one. Pollo Calor San Miguel. I'm going to assume this team theoretically plays in San Miguel. Um, and you said Pollo like as in chicken? Yeah. I'm going to go fake. You got it. Pollo Calor means hot chicken. <laughs> we were dying over this one. I posted this to me, and I was like, we have to use this one. <laughs> I was really concerned I wasn't going to be able to sell it, and I don't think I sold it quite as good enough, but you got it. So congrats on that. Okay, so the next one is Kekeiske. Kekeiske. I'm going to go real. That is a real team. Keke Iske, also known as Ku Ku Ku, is from Santa Tecla, founded in 1896, and they are in the Tercera division. All, All right. right. Up next, well, this is the last one, right? CD Dragon. CD Dragon. I'm going to go real. They are real. Founded in 1939. They wear green kits. You know, Dragon. Uh, they are also known as El Monstruo Verde uh, in the Segunda. The green Monster? Green monster. You got him. So what was you get four? Yeah, I got four. Mm -hmm. Okay. So standings are pretty solid right now. I think Donald got four in the first episode. So that's the going rate. Uh, next episode, tomorrow's episode. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow's yeah, I, episode. <laughs> I will say real quick, every episode, I feel like we have to make a note of one of the teams. Uh, and for you out there in CD Dragon, 
I don't know what your jerseys look like, but they probably have a dragon on it, and I probably want it. Well, they wear green kits, so it's like that's it's their thing. Bon bon, that's fine. I I, I I can work with that. I like green. I mean, their their crest is awesome. I mean, it is a dragon breathing fire with a soccer ball. Bet. Send them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds very concave. Just animal soccer ball. Good good uh, game of a uh, real team or fake team. Uh, so let's go on to what's next in CONCACAF. First big thing coming up is it's March. So the big tournament coming up is the Men's Olympic Qualification Tournament. CONCACAF has two bids for this summer's Olympics, if they end up happening. Group A, Mexico, USA, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic. And Group B, Honduras, Canada, El Salvador, and Haiti. Now these teams will play each other, the teams in their group once apiece, and then the top two move on. The first team from Group A plays the second team from Group B. The first team from Group B plays the second team in Group A. Whoever wins those games qualifies for the Olympics. So, guys, what are you guys looking for in this month's qualifying tournament for the U.S.? I, mean, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's. I think it's. You know, I think the big thing is we'll try to keep this as non-U.S. centric. But I mean, the United States has yet to hasn't qualified for an Olympic tournament since 2008. So it'll be a question of can they do it, uh, which they've struggled to do for for years. For me, obviously, yeah, the United States they need to qualify. But I think the United States and Mexico are your two top teams here. And the fact that they were paired in a group together makes them even more favorites because they only play each other once and then they won't have to see each other until the final if they both make it out of the group. So they have basically they can create their own paths. It's really Costa Rica uh, and I think El Salvador and Canada that have the best shots outside of those two teams to make it to the final. Costa Rica probably has has a on, on the ups because they have to beat one of those teams. But I think when it comes to Canada and even El Salvador, if they can get to the final, it'll be a monumental achievement. Like they are, they are up against the odds here, but I think when it comes to this Olympic qualifying tournament, we've seen it in the past as American fans, anything can happen and teams can surprise other teams and make it to this tournament. So, and there's only two teams that go. So I, I think that is the real thing here is that, all of these teams just have to play the group stage and get to a point where they can and they can shock somebody. Canada may be the best chance to do it, but El Salvador is right there. And I think El Salvador for them, if they can sneak into that last into that knockout stage, then they really just have to pull one upset. The thing about short international tournaments is that there really isn't a lot of margin for error. I mean, for the US Mexico, they get to start the first day of the tournament. They if they advance out of the group stage, they're playing four games in 11 days against a lot of different teams that they don't have a lot of experience with. And there's a lot riding on it. I mean, I'm fairly confident the U S especially is going to get through the group stage and get to that game. But man, playing a one game, playing a one game playoff to get into a tournament like that. I mean, there's not a lot of margin for error and since it's been so long since they've been able to qualify for the Olympics, like there's so much pressure riding on them for this because you're not getting another kick at this for another three years now. Right. And the other thing about every, and this goes for every team is that depth is going to be the most important feature we have because they only have 20 players. And so you have to have guys that are in shape. You have to have guys that you, you can rely on every single guy on that roster because you're going to have to call on each and every one of them 
throughout this tournament. Because like you said, it's a very short tournament. It's a very short window. And when you can only bring 20 players, it's not like you can just rotate a whole new team in. You have guys that you're going to have to rely on that are going to need to play every single game. Jonathan, do you want to add anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think think you guys kind of covered it all, but... I mean, I think the big thing will be like we've seen uh, the United States has released both their preliminary roster along with um, who they're bringing in for camp in the lead up to this tournament. Uh, We haven't really seen we've seen preliminary rosters for all of the teams. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, you know, who especially Costa Rica and who they bring in for this, because I think they have some of their main guys like the guys like um, Randall Leal in Nashville is eligible and I believe was on the preliminary roster. So it'd be a question of, you know, what guys do they bring in? The other thing is what teams allow their players to go because, because of this tournament, they don't have teams do not have to release their players as well. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting part, especially with how the fact that MLS season isn't going to be started. Like with a lot of these North players, North American based with their club teams, um, you would think that they would all get released, but I know Atlanta, there's discussion whether or not Atlanta United is going to let their players participate. They're not. And, they they put them on the roster, and literally as soon as the roster came out, Atlanta said, those guys aren't going. And they and Christ confirmed uh, in his press conference that those three players did not travel to Guadalajara for a training camp. So they're, those guys are out. Yeah, it's going to be a tough battle. Um, so catch that tournament later this month. Also later this month, the start of World Cup qualifying. Finally, World Cup qualifying is starting in CONCACAF. Uh, We're going to focus more on that next episode, kind of do a more comprehensive preview. Uh, But the one thing we want to talk about is that CONCACAF released the schedule for this month's qualifiers uh, recently. And there are a lot of neutral site games. Uh, because of the pandemic, because countries have different travel restrictions, many teams have been forced to go to other places to play their home games. Uh, Curacao looks to be hosting a handful of games that don't involve Curacao. Uh, there will actually be a couple of games played in the U.S., and the U.S. is not entering qualifying until September. Now, I want to pose this question to both of you. How much do you think it affects these teams not getting the chance to play at home in the games of this importance. I mean, I think it, it, it very much affects them. I think we've seen uh, this entire year that we've had neutral site games or, or even games without fans, how that can play a factor into, you know, a team's performance. But I think it really even more because we've we haven't really seen as far except for in your in europe with euro qualifying we haven't seen a ton of Concacaf soccer national team soccer without fans and so i, I mean i think especially for a lot of these teams you know we talk about some of the nuances and intricacies of of these teams and where they play i think that you know not having that home field advantage and being in a neutral site is definitely going to come into play i think for i, I mean World Cup qualifying the fans are important because they create that home field advantage that a team may need. But also for some of these teams, it is their only revenue stream. I mean, Nations League came about because it created a second line of revenue for some of these teams that have home games. But before Nations League, World Cup qualifying was the only home games that some of these teams had, and now they're going away. So I think that is going to be a major factor for them, and I hope CONCACAF can figure out what to do about that 
that's obviously a convoluted situation that just needs a lot of people at a table acting like adults which in CONCACAF can <laughs> yeah what do you do you know where you happen. are it's not going to happen but I, I think when it comes to the actual like fan part of things or just even just the the familiarity of playing at home that is something that's going to be lost in that because you know for us right like you know not traveling to the Azteca like imagine the U.S. Mexico game was at a neutral site like that'd be that'd be wild uh Imagine Jamaica couldn't host players at the teams at the office. Like that is something that is going to be hopefully with vaccines and stuff will, you know, be beyond this somewhat come, uh, come qualifying in the fall. But for these teams, it sucks because they, they do have to deal with it. And I think the neutral site, it makes sense because we got to get the games in, but I know for them it's, it's tragic because they want to have the familiarity and the home field advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope that, Talking about the, you know, talking about revenue streams that, you know, having Paramount Plus in, um, it could be something that helps fill in some of those revenue stream gaps um, because we have seen for uh, CONCACAF qualifying in the past, um, whether it's, you know, things like traffic or flow sports or there was a lot of uh, uncertainty of where they could get these these rights. And so hopefully having a stable income stream can help offset some of that cost. Because like you said, it is a huge revenue stream for these teams and these federations. Yeah. And having to spend the money to travel. And also like you all, it's unfortunate for a lot of teams that don't get the experience of getting to go play in some of these places like Canada. They got a game. They're supposed to be at Bermuda. They're playing in Orlando. How much does it suck having to go to Florida instead of Bermuda? And that's that's their own fault because they have the restriction that Canadians can't travel to or from the Caribbean. So it's funny because they can't travel to and from the Caribbean, but they could travel to Orlando. Like, that doesn't make any sense. COVID capital of... (laughs) (laughs) It's worse. But... Like I said, uh, next episode, we're going to talk more uh, in detail about the groups uh, for World Cup qualifying and uh, kind of the scenarios as we get closer uh, to the start of this, um, this first window of 2022 World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF. Uh, so that about wraps us up for this week. Gentlemen, uh, I think it's stoppage time. So what are we drinking tonight? Well, for me, uh, I, I always, I'm going to try and take it to the Caribbean when I can. And when I was in Antigua and Barbuda uh, back in 2012, uh, I got introduced to the blood orange. It was the first time I ever tried one and it was fantastic. Uh, but also English Harbor rum, which is English Harbor is just, we'll, we'll learn about it in that episode, but it's, it's a bay uh, in Antigua that we stayed in. And it's absolutely one of the most serene places on earth. Uh, and they have their own rum called English Harbor Rum. It's a five-year rum. It's aged. And so I took it and made a rum blood orange old-fashioned with it. Ooh, so I'm sounds. taking it back to Antigua. They don't drink b- blood orange rum old-fashions in Antigua, but maybe they can because these are using ingredients that they would have. So uh, it's mighty, mighty, mighty delicious. English Harbor, uh, one of the official rums of me. <laughs> the official rums of Don. Um, so I'm gonna throw it back to last episode with what I'm drinking. So I'm drinking um drinking a Cuba Libre, um, but I am using some plantation five year from uh from Barbados. So um throwing in a little bit of that. 
a little bit of fresh squeezed uh, lime and, and just, you know, good old Coca-Cola. See, you guys are so classy, but Jonathan, to piggyback on you, I, uh, I just had a liquor store open near my place. Uh, so a couple days ago, I walked over and uh, based on last episode, I'm showing the gentleman on, on our chat. Uh, there I got it a is. bottle of Mount Gay Barbados rum. So I'm enjoying that with my uh, trademark 7-Up. Uh, so I got some Mount Gay and 7-Up going on. And it is delightful. Mount Gay is also the official rum of me. A lot of them are. <laughs> if you want to be the official rum of the podcast, you should let us know, the sponsors, because we like Caribbean rum. We are 100% available uh, for your sponsorship dollars. Feel free to reach out to us. Uh, our email, podcalf at gmail.com. We are soliciting all sponsorship opportunities. Um, so feel free uh, to reach out on that. I feel like these episodes are just going to continue to like influence my alcohol buying. El Salvador, unfortunately, doesn't doesn't seem like a big rum place which they do of... have one that is that i tried to find and uh -huh. is very difficult to find at least where i am in the united states yeah. in dc so uh, i'll keep looking for it but it has one that i haven't actually tried yet so i was trying to see if i can get a small bottle and, and check it out but not to I, be not to be done for this episode i really thrive with these rum countries you know exactly yeah yeah, I uh, I looked to see if I could get some of the Pilsner um, from El Salvador and was not able to uh, to find. I'm really looking forward to when do we get to some of these other countries that not only have the rum, but also have the cigars, um, which we, we will also uh, dive into as well. Yeah. Or I will dive into as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can handle that. But that about wraps us up for this week's episode. Thank you to everyone who has listened so far. We really appreciate all the positive feedback that we've gotten, the constructive feedback. It's really, really nice to hear that people are enjoying uh, what we're putting out there. Feel free to follow us on social media. We are at PodcaCalf on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Again, that's at PodcaCalf. It sounds just like it's it spells just like it sounds. Pod Cookhalf. Um, gentlemen, do you want to plug your other projects? You can find me at Blazing DW. That is B L A Z I N D W. Uh, I also, uh, if you are, love U.S. national team, I run the Stars and Stripes FC podcast, uh, which will. Uh, I also talked about this podcast on that podcast. That podcast I, I talked about this podcast. So you know, and then I also for for you college basketball fans out there, I also do. The college basketball podcast duke basketball report also run through sb nation you you can't see schmitty throwing thumbs down and frankly if you know me you know i don't care uh i i, I, do, I do that for my duke fans uh, out there of which there are still some that appreciate me but for the soccer people <laughs> this podcast and the stars and stripes fc podcast at blazing dw to find me yeah and you can find uh me at j slape ssp so j s l a p e s s p um and also at Speedway Soccer, uh, covering Nashville FC or SC, um, and you know the rest of MLS as a whole. But uh, definitely, always making sure to take note of our Concacaf friends on the uh, on the Nashville team, including the guys like Randall Leal. But yeah, you can check me out there. 
uh, and you know, just on the internet talking about soccer. Thanks again. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever your your personal podcast preference allows, uh, so you can get the latest episodes of the World of Concacaf. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We hope to enjoy some great Concacaf soccer later this month, and we'll have another episode for you real soon. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you later. Thank you.